Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty nice. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout, and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. Knock, knock, hi. Knock, knock, hi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Knock Knock I with me, Dr. Glockenflecken. Uh, this is the show where I talk all things eyeballs. We are uh, toward the tail end of, of heart month. Uh, uh, this month, I've been thinking a lot and doing a lot of work and uh, advocacy around uh, heart things, uh, cardiac arrest, CPR, um, and and I, I've tried to choose a couple of heart related things sometimes that's difficult to like connect other organs with the eye usually i can do that maybe i'll do another episode sometime soon where i just spend the whole episode connecting organ systems to the eye to convince all of you that the eye it might not be the most important organ but like top five i i don't know i mean can you come up with five organs that are more important than the eyes Maybe, but uh, you'd be wrong. Uh, and so I think that would be a fun exercise, actually. So I'll, I'll have to think about that one. Um, before we get into our topic, our eyeball topic today, in honor of, of Heart Month, I just, I've, I've talked a little bit about, about advocacy already, uh, you know, the past few episodes. Uh, but uh, what I want to mention today is, and actually I'm recording this on Super Bowl Sunday, um, is th- there was a little bit of controversy, uh, a, a lot of uh, discourse lately. It was, in fact, it was last week surrounding the Comeback Player of the Year award in the NFL. I am a, a, a football fan. I don't talk about it a lot because it's very uh, not related to medicine. But um, demo- it, it really it basically came down to two people, this Comeback Player of the Year award. Uh, between Demar Hamlin, as we all know, had a cardiac arrest, uh, a commotio cordis as was the I think the official diagnosis on the field. Cardiac arrest was revived on the field with CPR with a defibrillator, and um, and then came back a year later to play in the NFL to to be on a team, be on the active roster, to actually play in games. And then the other person that this award came down to was Joe Flacco, who uh, the year before this year was a 38-year-old man sitting on a couch. And then he came back to lead the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs. 
both very uh, 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 worthy candidates for this award. And the reason that I feel uniquely qualified to discuss this and to present my opinion on who should win this is because, number one, I uh, had a cardiac arrest, an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, uh, uh, and so I can I can relate somewhat to that experience. Uh, and I'm also a 38-year-old man who spends an inordinate amount of time on the couch. So I, I can see both sides here, but I, let me just talk a little bit about recovering from a cardiac arrest and... I, I can't obviously speak for DeMar Hamlin's experience. His experience is his own. I can just tell you what my perspective is as someone who has recovered from a cardiac arrest. And the physical aspect of it is one thing. And can be, especially if you're young and healthy, I was very young and healthy. It seems DeMar is pretty young and healthy as well. Physically recovering from it is, is really easy part in a lot of ways. Uh, because as long as they get you back and 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 get your heart going again and you don't have any anoxic brain injury and neurologically you're intact, well you 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 can recover pretty quickly. And so the physically, you know, that's one thing. Psychologically, that's a whole whole nother thing. In a lot of ways, that's that's a lot more difficult. Because there was, for me at least, there was a lot of fear coming back. Is it gonna happen again? not knowing. Like for me, I didn't have an explanation for why my cardiac arrest happened. And so I just have always had that hanging over me. And this, this lasted for, you know, a good year and a half where I was like, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to go and walk or jog or run or exercise in a place where no one could see me. No one uh, where I was totally by myself. I was afraid of going on trips and sleeping in a hotel room by myself. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of speaking, and that's that's a big big thing. And and part of that's because I was asleep when my cardiac arrest happened. And so there were so many nights where I'd go to bed, and like the last thing I was thinking, I was like, "What if I don't wake up?" And that's that psychological aspect of of doing something like sleeping that where you died, where I died. And so with that in mind, putting myself in, in DeMar Hamlin's shoes, he had a cardiac arrest on the field, playing a sport he loves, doing his job. So to come back a year later and have the, the strength and the courage to go back and do the thing that you were doing when you died, that is unbelievably courageous. That takes a level of strength, of mental strength, that not a lot of people would have. And that's, that's a part of this discourse surrounding Comeback Player of the Year that I, I have yet to see. Because a lot of people don't have that perspective. And they say, oh, well, he didn't really play much. You know, he didn't really have much of an impact. But this is an award, an individual award. And I think what he did uh, is is extremely impactful, not just on his own life, but on people like me, other survivors of cardiac arrest, to see that, that you can still live your life. And, and so that's, that's, that's the, the DeMar Hamlin side of this argument. On the Joe Flacco side, I also understand 
that uh, whenever you're 38 years old and sitting on a couch, it's hard to get up and do anything, much less get hit by like 280-pound linemen. So I get that part too. Um, both did incredible, uh, incredible work. Uh, and, but I, I do, I do have to give the edge to DeMar Hamlin. So I, he didn't win the award. Joe Flacco won the award. It was very close. Actually, DeMar Hamlin got more first place votes, but the overall votes, he didn't get as, as many, but it was very, it was very close. And, um, and so in the end though, it's, this is just a, this is one award, right? I, I had the opportunity to meet DeMar Hamlin at the uh, American Heart Association event that we were both at in, in New York city a couple weeks ago. Uh, incredibly gracious individual and uh, is doing just amazing work around uh, AED advocacy, CPR uh, around the country, around the world. So his story is phenomenal. Uh, and as is Joe Flacco's of being an 38 year old getting off the couch. That's that really, I, I'm not being facetious here. Like that, like, that's incredible. I I feel like I am old. I'm like my body doesn't do what I want it to do. So the idea of going back and playing like professional football after like just not doing that for a while, that, that I mean that seems really hard. So congrats to both of those people and um, both Demar Hamlin and Joe Flacco on your NFL seasons. Uh, okay, so let's take a break and then we'll come back with our heart blood vessel blood flow related case today hey everybody exciting announcement do you want to tell them or should i oh you can i'm so excited due to popular demand we're adding more live shows in california sunday march 10th we'll be at the san jose improv and on sunday march 24th we're returning to the irvine improv to share our amazing story called Wife and Death. Yeah, we'll talk about that time you died. And came back to life. It'll be a tragicomic, multimedia, memoir, stage show extravaganza. You gotta check it out. To buy tickets, click the link in the description below, or you can go to glockenflecken.com slash live. We'll see, see you, you there. there. All right, here we go. So, in honor of Heart Month, I think this is probably the last... At least for a little while, the last heart, it's like vaguely heart related. It's not really, it's not really heart related at all, but there, there's, there's blood involved here with this case. Um, I'm going to be talking, I'll just go ahead and tell you what it is so you can have the, 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 so I can give you context surrounding this topic because it's not a very common uh, diagnosis, but I'm going to be talking about carotid cavernous fistulas today. That's a lot of words. And so let's, I'm going to take you through this. If you've never heard of this or never seen one, I, I hope this is interesting for you. I hope you, you'll learn a thing or two. Um, and I'm going to start with our, with a case. So we're going to start with a, uh, 46 year old woman who was in a, a drunk driving accident. She was drinking and driving and had an accident. She survived. Everyone survived. But um, uh, she uh, had several fractures of the face um, and was in the hospital for a while and recovered. And then uh, about two months after this accident, she came into the eye clinic in follow-up. By the way, if you have an orbital fracture, you should always see an eye doctor after an orbital fracture because sometimes you might need surgery for that. We've talked about orbital fractures before. Um, 
All right, so she came into the eye clinic uh, with with this report of a, a whooshing sound in the right ear on the side where she had most of her facial fractures. And um, we've talked about that whooshing that you can get in, in the context of idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Well, this is another diagnosis, a fistula, where you can get that whooshing. If you ever felt a fistula, like someone has fistula from um, from a uh, uh, because they need dialysis. Basically, you're you're connecting a, an artery and a vein together, uh, and and you can if you if you put your hand over it, you can actually feel a, like a thrill. A whoosh, whoosh, it's 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 like vibrating. It's it's very interesting to feel a to put your hand over a fistula and feel what that, that feels like. You can just tell there's all this turbulent blood flow uh, uh, going on in there. And so um, she comes in with this, this whooshing sound, and uh, the vision is actually doing okay in both eyes, 20-20 right eye, 20-20 left eye. If you look at that, uh, that the, the right eye, the side um, that she's having that whooshing sound, uh, if you look at that right eye, you look at its movements, you can see that eye is not moving normally. It's kind of restricted in most directions. And also the eye looks like it's popping out, what we call proptosis. Proptosis means one eye is essentially bulging compared to the other eye. And there's ways of measuring that. We have what's called a Hertel exophthalmometer. Crazy, right? It's, it's, just, it's like a series of mirrors, basically, that, that just allows you to measure how far forward one eye is compared to the other. Uh, and the right eye was coming forward about three, uh, four millimeters more compared to the left eye. So in just looking at the patient, you can tell, oh, that eye is a little bit more proptotic, moving for a little bit more forward. And then you just look at the, the eyelids. That's the next thing. You're just doing like an external, just look at the patient's face. And you can see the eyelids are a little bit more swollen on that side. And then you look at the eye itself. You look at the blood vessels on the conjunctiva, on the white part of the eye. They just look a little thicker, a little more prominent. Look comparing. It's always this is, this is what's so great about ophthalmology. I you can compare one eye to the other. It's this is great. I love having two of the same organ. You could just you could just see, oh, this looks very different than the other eye. Something's going wrong. So with this disease, carotid cavernous fistula, you look at the white part of the eye, the blood vessels are engorged. It's one of those fun words that we have in medicine. Engorgement of the blood vessels of the conjunctiva. They look thicker. They they're more they're more uh, um, uh, tortuous. Those blood vessels, they're kind of going just all, they're all over the place. They're tortuous. They're turning. They have like 90 degree turns to them. They're just, they're just, they're, 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 and there's just more of them compared, again, compared to the other eye. And then you look at the back of the eye. The optic nerve is a little swollen as well. Those, some of those blood vessels back there in the back of the eye, they're also a little tortuous, a little engorged. Everything else looks okay, though, because the patient's seeing okay, 2020, not really having any vision complaints. And then me, I'm seeing this patient. I already include in, just based on, I don't even need clinic, I don't even need a, a imaging findings at this point. We are going to get imaging, but uh, I don't need imaging to, 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 to be clued in. Like recent head trauma, all these physical exam findings, 
this as a high probability of being a carotid cavernous fistula. So what am I going to do? Remember I mentioned a, a fistula connection with an artery and a vein. Uh, you can actually hear it and feel it when it's in the arm or something for a patient that, that is getting dialysis. Well, what we'll do then, one of the very few uses of a stethoscope in the eye clinic, I could take a stethoscope and I put it right over that eye. And sometimes you can actually hear that whooshing that the patient's talking about. Whoosh, 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 with the heartbeat. Whoosh, whoosh. Sometimes you can actually see the, the eye itself pulse. Like it's with each heartbeat, you look at a slit lamp, really high magnification. It kind of like pops out a little bit more with each heartbeat. It's really very interesting uh, exam. Is this, this, this is one of those like go get the med student and have them look at this patient type of exam, which is always scary for the patient. <laughs> As a patient, and I've, I've been there, although I, it might have just been because I'm Dr. Glockenflecken and that, that they always get the med students, but um, it's, it's which <laughs> that, that has, and that's, I'm okay with that, but um, uh, this is one of those things uh, when you're a patient, it's always like, Oh, whenever people are like, Oh, can we, can we get the trainees who've never seen this crazy thing that you have? Can they come look at you? Uh, you're a bit of a freak of nature, sir. Can it, can they come, can they come and see you and look at the things and learn? <laughs> I'm being dramatic. I, I think it's, I think a lot of most patients actually that have an interesting finding on their exam. I found that they in general really like being able to use those things, use their experience to educate others. Not, not universally, but most people do. So uh, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, especially at teaching hospitals. So anyway, I have a high suspicion that this patient has a fistula. So what will I do pretty quickly, maybe not emergently, because again, this has probably been there for a couple months. Um, but within either that day, if I can, or certainly that next few days, I'll send them for an MRI um, uh, of the brain. And, you know, you got to look at all the vessels, look at all the blood flow. And what we're looking for in particular is engorgement of the vasculature, in particular, the superior ophthalmic vein. So the superior ophthalmic vein is basically a vein that's back in the orbit. And if you have a CC fistula, a carotid cavernous fistula, that vein will be very large compared to the other side. And then sometimes on that scan, you can also see a connection between the cavernous sinus, which is a venous structure, and the internal carotid artery. Most likely it's the internal carotid, carotid artery in somebody like this who comes in after a trauma, a head trauma. And basically like what has happened is you had this trauma that caused massive head trauma that caused some kind of damage to the internal carotid artery, like the lining of the internal carotid artery, because that artery passes through the cavernous sinus. If my memory, if my, if my anatomy and thinking is, is correct uh, in the comments, please correct me if I say anything wrong here. But the, the carotid artery passes either like right next to, basically it's like adjacent to the cavernous sinus. And if there's any damage to the, the wall of the artery, it can basically form a, a fistula, a connection, right, between the venous structure, the cavernous sinus, and the arterial structure, the carotid artery. And then you create this fistula that causes, you have this, the powerful carotid artery that's, that's, that's forming all this blood and increasing the pressure in the venous system that causes all this blood to back up 
into these structures that, that, that drain into the cavernous sinus, which includes most of the stuff around the eye. All right, so you get all this blood that's, you just think, imagine, it's just backing up into the eye, into the structures of the eye, causing swelling of the, of the, of the eyelids, uh, engorgement of all those vessels. It causes the eye pressure to be higher. And it causes, because you have all this tissue becoming engorged and swollen behind the eye in the orbit, superior ophthalmic vein, right? In the orbit, it causes the eye to push forward, causing that proptosis. So that's the pathophysiology that's happening here. And it all started because of a head trauma that, that caused damage to that nerve. This is what we call a direct cavernous, uh, uh, carotid cavernous fistula, a direct one, because it's directly related to trauma, damaging that artery, causing the fistula. So if we see this on the, on the MRI, we see that dilated vein, we see potentially a connection between the internal carotid and the, and the cavernous sinus. You don't always see that, but if you see enough findings on the MRI that's strongly suggestive of a fistula, like that dilated vein, and you have all the clinical findings, and you have the recent trauma, and the, 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 um, how quickly all these symptoms developed, then... You can put your diet, you can put your nickel down on a carotid, direct carotid cavernous fistula diagnosis. And this has to be treated surgically. All right, this will only get worse and potentially cause severe vision loss if it doesn't get treated right away. Now we'll contrast that in a second with an indirect fistula, I'll get to. And so once we have this diagnosis, I'm sending that patient to an interventional person. I say person because I don't, there's like several of them. There's like interventional radiologists. There's an interventional uh, neurologist. There's interventional neurosurgeons that do this kind of work or just like conventional neurosurgeons. There, there's uh, there's several, and, and I'm like very careful here because I'm like waiting into like turf wars, um, the, which I have, I have no dog in any of that, uh, you know, uh, argue, those arguments. But um, uh, the... So I'll send them to an interventionalist, all right, who can use what we call fluoroscopy, which is like fancy x-rays. Don't get mad at me, radiologists, for this. This is not my area of expertise. But basically, they will, they will, they will cannulate. They'll put a little wire up into the arteries, into the area of, of, of the fistula. And there's several things they can do, actually. They can coil it. They can uh, basically, in certain way, like just destroy that fistula so it's not causing that backup of blood. In this case, they actually decided to sacrifice the internal carotid artery on that side. Now you may you may think, whoa, how that's that's like the main blood vessel or one of them that's that goes like up the neck into the brain. Like how can you just totally sacrifice the internal carotid artery. Well, what they did during the, that, during the investigation using fluoroscopy is they determined, oh, there's a lot of collateral blood flow from the left side over to the right side. There's lots of blood vessels that can, that can go from the right side, just still provide all that blood flow that the eye on the, on the opposite side still needs, that all the tissue on the opposite side still needs. And, and so they felt comfortable 
Like if we're going to fix this, we're going to keep this patient from going blind in this right eye. We can just stop the blood flow in the internal carotid artery. And that's going to prevent, that's going to basically stop this fistula from fistulizing. (laughs) And that happens actually with, um, I talked about blood clots, right? We'll look at the internal carotid artery to see if blood clots are forming. Well, if, if, if there's sometimes there is such a large blockage in the internal carotid artery naturally by not naturally, but by way of just atherosclerosis, there's such a large blockage that it actually ends up blocking the artery completely. And you actually don't fix that because a lot of times there's that collateral blood flow. So in some circumstances, you only need one internal carotid artery, which still blows my mind that that's a possibility, but it's true. It's true. Um, and so this person had their internal carotid artery embolized. There's like, there's different ways to do it with coils. There's like liquid embolic agents you can use. There's a balloon you can use. You can, there's all, all kinds of stuff. They closed it. And actually the treatment is very successful for doing something like you're physically going in there. And it's, it's amazing to me that they do this. And also very terrifying uh, from a, from a, like, I'm thinking of, thinking of myself doing it to others. It seems really hard. It seems really challenging. But it worked. In this patient, all the symptoms resolved very quickly. You know, the all the, the, the dilated, the engorged vessels, the disc edema, the proptosis, it all resolved as the, the, the backup of blood was able to eventually go away. And it was a success. But this also brings me to my uh, don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Don't drink and drive please <laughs> it's bad for your eyeballs and other parts of your body probably i have to assume it's bad for your entire body but particularly your eyeballs things can happen so do not drive while intoxicated intoxicated by anything alcohol other drugs just don't behind the wheel if you've if you've been imbibing or otherwise consuming things that affect your mental acuities Okay. Um, what else? Okay. Direct. Uh, we talked about that. That was a direct fistula. Now there are indirect fistulas too. So indirect fistula would be, um, something that happens very gradually over time, uh, usually occurs between, uh, it, it could be the internal carotid artery, but, but also you can get like branches of the external carotid artery that connect with the cavernous sinus, but they're low flow fistulas. We call them indirect. And it wasn't due to some big trauma. Of, a lot of times we don't actually know why they develop. Uh, there's been some associations with like sinusitis and um, maybe trauma, but it's like unclear. Uh, or just as you get older, you can, you can form these. I honestly... Most of the time, we don't know why people get these, but they're not as severe. They're not as obvious. You can have some of the symptoms I've already described, but they don't come on as quickly. Um, they, they, they're more subtle, and, and, and they just occur more gradually. It could be over years, over like five, 10 years, they can slowly develop these symptoms. And these are the types of fistulas that you may not see much on MRI. Maybe you'll see that dilated vein as well, but you don't have to treat these as emergently because they're so gradual and onset that they may not be any damage to the patient's vision. 
or potential damage to their vision. So you could you could just follow these for a while. And if it does become more of a problem, they're starting to have more vision symptoms, then you can send them to an interventional doctor and and uh, and have them treat it if necessary. But uh, but the, the indirect ones, you don't have to. And, it, and so it's very clear. It's, it's easy to differentiate the direct that need treatment versus the indirect that do not. Um. But it's it's just a it's a it's a fascinating diagnosis. Oh, the one thing I didn't mean I didn't mention as far as like symptoms. I, I talked about how actually the this the patient in this case wasn't able to move their eye around. Well, that's because the cavernous sinus this is a very important structure. The cavernous sinus, you guys, it's just a big vein in your brain that uh, that a lot of the um, parts of several cranial nerves will pass through the cavernous sinus. So if you have a ton of blood flow from a fistula that's filling up the cavernous sinus, puts pressure on all of the structures that are like passing through the cavernous sinus, including some of these cranial nerves. So you'll end up with a third nerve palsy or a sixth nerve palsy or a fourth nerve or all the nerve palsies. I'm trying to remember all the ones that pass through there. I don't know if the fourth one does. The third and the sixth do for sure. Maybe the fourth doesn't. You know what? I don't know. I need a med student to tell me. That's like classic med school, like step one, probably ophthalmic boards, ophthalmology boards, but that was quite a while ago for me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, cranial nerve palsies are another hallmark of, of fistulas like this. Oh, I think, um, I think that just about covers it uh, as far as the, um, the, the, the fistula talk goes. So uh, that, I think that, I think I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, I, no one recommended this talk, but, but with heart month, I was like, what I got, I got to do something. And so I, I have a, I have a, a review textbook that I used actually to study for boards. And I, I opened it, honestly, the first page I opened it up to was vascular abnormalities, including an AV fistula. So like, let's go with it. Let's go. No one asked for it, but you know what? I think it's an interesting, I, I really think it's, go, you can look at photos and by the way, I've, I've got a shout out irounds.org, irounds.org, uh, which uh, I was an editor in chief of in residency. It's it's from uh, it's from the University of Iowa where I did my my ophthalmology training. Shout out Iowa, all med. You got it. You got it. You got to apply to Iowa because it's uh, just phenomenal people, phenomenal education. Um, you know, not many residency programs these days, or at least in ophthalmology. Do you leave, do you finish residency and feel like you can go directly into practice? Iowa is one of those places that I felt comfortable. I finished my res incredibly busy, difficult residency. But once I finished it, I felt comfortable. I was like, I can do this job. I can go on. I don't need extra training. Some places, a lot of places, you, you either you don't get enough surgery under your belt and you feel like you need to do like an extra year and something to, to, to feel more comfortable. I, that wasn't me. I felt, I was like, I can do this. I can do this job. I can go out and do this. Anyway, uh, irounds.org is their website run by the university of Iowa. Unbelievable pictures. They have a phenomenal photography unit there, uh, that take, uh, award-winning photos of eyeballs, of retinas, of corneas, of all parts of the eye. One of the coolest things about ophthalmology is all the imaging that we can get of the eye. So check it out. Check out all the photos there. Um, uh, I don't have any financial interest. I just, I, I love ophthalmology education and showing people cool photos of eyeballs. 
Uh, so check it out. And, um, and that's about it for our show today. So thank you all for listening. Send me in the comments. I, I, I do peruse the comments on YouTube in particular. So if you watch this on YouTube, um, uh, then you can, um, uh, uh, you can tell me what you want to hear is what I'm, I'm thinking about. Tell me what you want to hear. Topics, uh, diagnosis. Do you have a diagnosis? Do you have an eye problem that you want me to discuss? Not yours in particular, but the disease that your eyeball problem represents. Let me know. Um, and so thank you all for listening. Thank you to, to my producers, uh, Shanti Brooke, Aaron, Aaron, uh, uh, Aaron Corney, Rob Gold. I'm doing this by memory. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> Rob Coleman. Uh, and, uh, um, and I am Dr. Glockham Flecken. Uh, thank you. This is a human content production. Oh, also, uh, editor and engineer uh, Jason Portizo, and uh, our music is by Omer Binsby. There, I didn't want to forget them. All right, we'll see you next time, everybody. Take care.